0: Hey guys, it's Andrew. Before we get into the episode, I just want to throw a quick shout out to my very good friend, Scott Suter, who wrote and performed the intro song that you'll be hearing momentarily. Scott is a terrific artist. You can find his comics and doodles over at Copenhagen Cool Ranch on Instagram. And I am very overwhelmed by the support that I've gotten from friends on the show so far. When I started this whole endeavor, last on my mind was that I was making content. I thought it was just a goofy means of transferring audio files to friends and loved ones. And uh, this is really like exceeded my imagination for what this show could be. So, you know, I also was very committed early on to zero production value. Obviously I record on my drive to work. I don't see that changing necessarily, but with this, this, Intro, I think we'll we'll put a little bit more work in, you know? I will rise to my friends' expectations for me. So thank you guys for listening. Thanks so much again, Scott, for the song, and let's go. How could, How I, could I say? I say way? Way? What's I Welcome to another very special episode of Let Me Explain You a Thing. My name is Andrew, and this is the podcast where I talk extemporaneously on a subject I know a decent amount about, usually on my drive to work, although today I'm driving home. And today, 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 I would like to explore a subject that has been near and dear to my heart for over 20 years uh, has been an outgrowth of another passion of mine. What am I talking about? I'm talking about Bionicle. Uh, I was gonna say something self-deprecating, but kill the part of you that cringes. Protect the part of you that is cringe. Um, so, Bionicle. What is it? It is officially a LEGO theme, If you've been into LEGO, if you've walked down a toy aisle, if you've had young relatives, you may be familiar with such LEGO themes as Ninjago. Or, I don't know, uh, (laughs) I guess that's all I had. (laughs) Okay, um, uh, LEGO City, LEGO Castle, LEGO Pirate Ship. Uh, these, these are kind of delving back into the 90s, I guess, but, you know, there were sort of these, like, themes that had, uh, you know, in some cases, characters, animus for you to build stuff. This is kind of the heart of a LEGO theme, uh, to give you, to give your playtime some structure, some guidance, and I think people don't always appreciate, uh, how important and helpful that can be, especially for children. Uh, just having, having some guidelines, you know, when you, even for an adult, you give them a, give someone a blank piece of paper and say, like, create something, like, I don't know, what do, where do I go with that? Um, but if you, if you get a prompt, you know, like, all of a sudden this is, this is starting to, like, come into focus a little bit more. You can see something in your mind's eye, and I think the same is absolutely true for Lego. There are so many different unique Lego pieces, colors, uh, you know, and so forth, and ways that they can be combined. Like, this, seriously, it's math. It, like, gets into combinatorics. How do you put these? There's there's some, like, factoid out there about, like, you take two, like, two by four Lego bricks, you know, the rectangles with, like, usually when you're talking about Lego, you, you give the number of studs, like, two studs by four studs. Um, you, you take two of those bricks and they can, they can be combined in like, like thousands of unique ways or something insane. Um, obviously a lot of those, those combinations, a lot of those configurations are going to look pretty similar because we're talking, I mean, unless we have two bricks of two different color. Anyway. I get myself back on track here. Um, So, like, there's so many ways you can put Legos together. And uh, just, you know, obviously having something to build. Like, if you get a Lego set and it's all the pieces you need to build, like, you know, uh, a house or a helicopter or something, then, you know, that's... That's, you know, you have something to build. A lot of LEGO sets have historically um, given, like, you know, little little kind of sneaky tips about other things that you can build with that same set, sometimes with the exact same pieces, sometimes including other sets or other common pieces that might be familiar. Um, like, hey, this helicopter, you can also... Like, using the the pieces that become the blades, you can also turn it into, like, like, a spider or something. Or, like, you know, like a monster guy that's got a bunch of swords. Or, I don't know. I'm just making stuff up. But, so the combiner model, you know, it's not just, like a means of giving a lego set more replay value so to speak like you build the thing great i have the thing built like a large part of the fun of lego is that you can deconstruct the things that you build and then later build other things with them like i think as kids it was a very like for me, many people that i know is a very common experience to have like a lego bucket or like a you know a like a little box with all your Lego pieces that eventually you take stuff apart, they end up in the box, you build new things out of them. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so, combiner models kind of give you a reason to, after you build the thing, you're kind of tired of the thing, you can, like, build something new with it sometimes they kind of upsell you on other sets because look don't you want to combine you know the the snowmobile and uh the helicopter into some kind of like you know fan boat or something um go. I, those are just some of the basic principles of being a Lego kid, I think. That you know, you have you, ha- you have these sets, you get them, you can build them into certain things. You have like a, a kind of a theme to work around. And you know like, if you've seen the Lego movie you're familiar with uh, President Business's obsession with like keeping all the themes separate and stuff. And you know, ultimately the the most pure expression of creation with lego sets is you know remixing them into different forms um, but anyway you know the theme is there just to give you kind of a jumping off point uh, there was also lego magazine for many years i do not know if it's still in publication um Lego magazine often had, like, comics and, uh, you know, like, kind of classic, like, kids' magazine, like, you'd have puzzles and games and stuff, and those would be maybe based on or utilizing characters from certain Lego, uh, themes. There are also, you know, Lego, of course, licensed many properties as well. Um, you know, Lego paid Lucasfilm at the time. Uh, to license Star Wars, uh, like ships and characters and whatf- whatnot, and produce toys based on uh, based on them. Um, you may remember Harry Potter Legos, or um, geez, what else? I remember seeing like Simpsons Lego sets and SpongeBob. Like they kind of. They were all over the place, uh, with their licensed themes. Um. I think Star Wars is kind of, you know, one of the most preeminent among these. Uh, you know, some of the most prestigious LEGO sets, in terms of, like, high piece count and dollar value. You got, uh, like, the LEGO Star Destroyer or, uh, Death Star... Lego Millennium Falcon and stuff like that. So Star Wars has always had kind of pride of place among the Lego themes and, and properties. But of course, the problem with uh, Lego Star Wars from a... Somebody's car is stinking up here. Um, the problem, of course, from a business perspective with Lego uh, with licensing properties for LEGO to make sets out of, is that, you know, there's all the overhead of producing the LEGO set, having, you know, master builders design them, um, and then also the exorbitant fees of, you know, paying, like, Star Wars kind of invented the action figure, I guess you kind of have G.I. Joe's, but at the time, those were almost more thought of as dolls for boys is kind of the marketing angle. But, yeah, Star Wars sort of kicked off, like, a whole, you know, decades-long obsession in, in material culture with action figures. Um, so they knew what they were doing. Jeez. Star Wars really... Lucasfilm really knew what they were doing as far as, like, really making money, really juicing their... their films, let's remember. It started with three films, um, really juicing them for profit as toys, as merchandise and collectibles and so forth. And, of course, Lego was, you know, uh, a party to that. But, yeah, so there was a time in, like, the, the mid to late 90s where Lego was was starting to kind of suffer. Uh, They had sort of branched out into other merchandise as well, like, you know, you could have, like, a Lego-themed backpack, uh, or lunchbox, or, like, some clothing, stuff like that. The brand had kind of drifted, and they were getting into markets that, you know, what business does Lego have making, you know, children's clothing? Like, again, that seems like the kind of thing, you know, some... Some clothing brand uh, or vendor wants to, you know, make T-shirts that have, like, a Lego guy on them um, for all the Lego kid fans to, to buy or have their parents buy for them at Target. Like, it would kind of seem as, it would sort of make sense, right, if Lego just licensed that to a clothing brand or producer of the clothing. Um, but no, they were kind of getting into that business themselves. It was a little weird. So, Lego was not doing super hot in the late 90s. Uh, a lot of the most profitable themes they had were licensed, again comes with heavy costs, so they had to come up with something a little bit new. Um, Lego had developed a kind of new building system, I believe in, throughout the 80s and 90s, called Lego Technic. Uh, Lego Technic is a little bit more like Connects, if you remember those, or Tinker Toys, is, is kind of the, the Boomer equivalent. Um, they, they fit, these are like pieces that fit together, like Lego bricks, but they use, you know, instead of like bricks and studs to connect with one another, it was a system more based upon freedom of movement and, uh, and things like that. So you have uh, pins and axles. Uh, you've got gears. Um, you know, ball and socket type connections. So really, more more tools that enable. And you know, it makes sense. Like the a lot of the early Technic sets were uh, like model cars, uh, vehicles of of different kinds and things like that. So Technic sets tended to be more predicated on movement. Like early Lego, I guess maybe there would be some way without Technic to build a car, but like, would it move? Would the wheels turn? Could you like push it and watch it go? Maybe not. Um, and you know, maybe if they did figure out some odd construction techniques to make that work in a solely brick-built, uh, car, you know, like, are you going to have the the same tools for, say, like, turning the wheel and, you know, the, the front axle turns, not axle, I don't know, cars. You will never hear me record a podcast about cars, dear listener. Although, maybe that's a challenge to myself for one day. Anyway, um, so Bionicle... No, we're not there yet. Back up, back up. Uh, So, LEGO Technic. It was a system for, you know, these larger, more intricate... More intricate... I don't like that, though. More complicated uh, sets. More aimed at, like, an adult you know, level of, of skill and builder. Um, and as time went on, they started pushing LEGO Technic more towards uh, what would later be, much later, be called construction, uh, construction action figures. Um, so early examples of this you have are Riders and... Robots, Robo Riders are like sort of transformers, almost like they're like cars, but also kind of like characters. Um, they have certain elements that make them a little more uh, sentient seeming, or like personal, personable seeming, um, personified. than than just a, a straight up car and then you've got throw bots, which are, are robots that have like a new technic piece it was like a throwing arm that has kind of like a a soft plastic like hinge um in the built into the arm that you could kind of fold back and it would hold like a, a little plastic throwing disc you release the arm and it kind of hinges back, kind of snaps back a little bit, and tosses the disc, which then, due to the disc's design, is able to, you know, carry for a little ways, um, which was kind of neat. Um, to have that, you know, flexible parts introduced in the Lego. I remember, I myself, probably 1999, maybe, just guessing, uh, got a Throwbot. um, for Christmas, and it was, uh, the name of it was Ski, I think, because it was just a, a dude with, like, ski poles and, like, uh, pieces that were kind of meant to look like skis. They kind of didn't. <laughs> um, and then it had, like, a, you know, of course, one throwing arm on it that you could flick the, the disc out with. Um. It wasn't really a character. Like, none of, like, Ski, there was, like, Surge, Turbo, I don't know. Maybe making these up. Hydro. They they were all kind of, like, based around different elements. Uh, Like, you got, like, a a lava guy that's, like, black and red. Um, And they all came in these cases that sort of, I think I I didn't recognize this for the longest time because the case kind of looked like a sledge. Like, it had ski rails on it, seemingly. But then I learned many years later that it was actually, like, a carry case that was designed to fit on a belt. Like, you could feed your belt through the case. Through those, like, ski you know, blades on the bottom. Uh and it hinges open at the top, you can kind of, like, pull your your throwbot out and throw discs, I guess. So, you know, what... I don't think this was executed super well, but what it all points to is a desire at LEGO for there to be some kind of, like, action. You know, like, G.I. Joe, for decades at this point, had the, the kung fu grip, you know, the, like hi kind of, like, bring your arm down, um, chopping action sort of stuff. Um, that was, you know, like, if you remember many 90s commercials, uh, you, you probably remember something like that, some kind of play action. Um, I remember commercials for toys, like Batman toys that did that kind of shit, and it was always, like, in this set with lots of like accessories that of course did not come with the toy that you know made it look so impressive like oh wow this batman punches <laughs> it's like you, you kind of need the accoutrement you yeah. know as well for that to to look cool when you're actually playing with it but oh well that was kind of a, a you know fad of the the 90s so anyway throw bots. Yeah, Robo-Riders, uh, then Throwbots, um, and then out of that comes Bionicle. Uh, Robo-Riders and Throwbots were both, I think, like a year or so each. They, they just came with this initial, you know, release of toys, and I think that was it. There was really no story or, you know, nothing really behind them. And then Bionicle, um, Bionicle was, I think, originally planned to run for two or three years, I want to say. And it ended up running for nine. And I think towards the end it got kind of short shrift and uh, was canceled a little bit prematurely, but uh, towards the end, once, you know, it had been like five, six, seven years at Bionicle, they were like, man, we could keep this rolling. You know, why stop now? And the story... Um, if you, if you follow Bionicle's story, or look into it, really, you'll appreciate how deep that rabbit hole goes, and they had material, I am so confident, they had material and, you know, grounds to continue that storyline for another five years if they wanted, or who knows how long, probably longer, (laughs) um anyway, Bionicle were, it was kind of a, a comprehensive, like, story setting, uh, you know, you have this island of Mata Nui, very heavily based upon, uh, Polynesian, uh, folklore and mythology, and in fact, uh, I think in 2002, I want to say, uh, uh, the, there was a, a class action lawsuit, I believe, by the Maori people who sued Lego for appropriating a number of their, uh, you know, names and, you know, cultural references and so forth. Um, so some of the names were later retcon to be spelled differently. <laughs> they did not really change the names, uh, but they, you know, the story went on, they started adding new names basically, Bionicle started in a very, like, very unconventional mold of, um, you know, it was kind of sci-fi, like the characters were sort of robots, like biomechanical, I guess cyborgs is maybe the word for that. Um, But it was kind of more of a fantasy story. You begin with six heroes, uh, now that I've poisoned the well talking about the cultural appropriation issue uh, you start with six heroes who arrive on an island they have no memory of who they were beforehand but they're like adults, right? they're, you know in in temperament, maturity, you know, so forth um, they feel ancient but they have no memories uh, they encounter some inhabitants the In- inhabitants of the island, the uh, Matoran, who are the kind of average people, much smaller than these Toa, as we come to learn they are, um, and the, the Matoran's elders, uh, basically there's like six nations of Matoran on Matanui. Nui, uh, each is kind of ruled by an elder uh, known as a Turaga, So there are six Turaga, six nations, six Turaga, um, six Toa, one for each element. Uh, kind of based loosely on the, the classical Greek elements, or Chinese elements, I guess. Um, classical elements from various places in the world. You've got, uh, just to name off the initial characters we're starting with, there's Tahu, who is the kind of, uh, the leader of the crew. Um, and he is the Toa of Fire, uh, Gali, Toa of Water, Kopaka, Toa of Ice, who is kind of the informal, uh, second-in-command, um, uh, Anwa, Toa of Earth, Hohatu, Toa of Stone, uh, Lua, uh, Toa of Air, and I think I got them. yeah, that's all of them. Um, and they each have, uh, you know, kind of, like, to build in a collectible element to this whole thing, they each have, uh, a mask, um, and these masks afford them great powers for, you know, Tahu, for example, he wears the Mask of Shielding, which grants him immunity from any attack that he is aware of. He's is vulnerable to sneak attacks, kind of an Achilles heel, heel sort of situation, there are others that kind of feel like, you know, they're not balanced very well, or, like, they could just go with... They're a bit too generic. Like, Anwa has uh, the Mask of Strength. It's kind of like, wow, that's a lot of powers. <laughs> uh, Galli has the Toa, or has the Mask of uh, Underwater Breathing, which as Toa of Water, you would kind of think, like... Huh. <laughs> uh, that That sort of feels like... You know, she's missing out on a mask power. Like, that could have just gone with being, you know, master of the element of water. Like, what are these, what are their powers, their elemental powers? They can, like, summon these elements. They can control them. They can manipulate them. Um, there are times when they, they kind of use them in concert with one another, such as Lua uh, summoning, like, a tornado whips up a bunch of sand in it. Uh, Kind of feels like that's hedging a little bit on Pohatu's Toa of Stone uh, turf, but okay. Uh, Conjures a tornado that whips up a bunch of sand, and then uh, Tahu, uh, you know, blasts it with his flame, which turns the the tornado into solid glass. Um, They also are capable of performing what we later come to know is a Toa seal, which is all their powers used in in conjunction on one target uh, that can like freeze it into a substance called protodermis. I love the name protodermis. It's like the like pre skin. Uh, that that matters. We'll find out why. Um, anyway, so. Uh, the the early story arc of the Toa is kind of getting their bearings on the island, each finding the five additional masks that belong to them um, in their respective uh, six. Because each, each of these nations uh, of Matorin on the island of Mata Nui have, you know, kind of an elemental, you know, connection. Each region. Uh, So, like, the the region of air is a jungle. Um, And that's because, like, the the people there spend so much time in the treetops and swinging around on vines and training goko birds and stuff like that. Uh, And then the, you know, the nation of fire, uh, Takoro, is based in a volcano. You know, the Nation of Ice is on a snow-capped mountain. Um, The Nation of Earth is underground. The Nation of Water is, like, in kind of a a river delta. Uh, So, you know, it's all these settings that sort of bring the characters and the residents of those places closer to that element. Um, I think also having six elements was kind of a masterstroke for Bionicle as a theme. Like you know, the theme, the the moral of this story that we'll get back to is Bionicle really, like, snatched Lego back from the jaws of of bankruptcy. Really did a lot to reinvigorate Lego, just you know, as a as a thing. Um, and it was an in-house brand or theme um, that they did not have to pay any licensing, you know, fees or royalties towards. Uh, and, you know, it also gave characters, like, you know, the Lego castle, part of the charm, I guess, is that you can kind of project whatever storyline you want to onto, you know, the, the, you have, like, a little king guy with a shiny crown, like, who is he? What's his backstory? Like, you know, what kind of stories can you tell playing with these toys? Um... And, you know, the, your ability to, like, rebuild them and reconstruct them and so forth. Um, however, having built-in story kind of makes a lot of sense, too. Like, there's a lot of... Again, it's, it's you know, not anti-creativity. It's kind of the restriction that allows you to build creativity. Or to apply your own ideas to it. Um, so you have this setting, these characters. You kind of know how they interact... There was an ongoing comic for, like, nine years in Lego Magazine. That was the reason I finally signed up for Lego Magazine as a kid. Um, so I could follow this story. They had, uh, Scholastic, um, published a a line of short, you know, kind of, not middle grade, sort of earlier than that, like chapter books, you know, as we called them. Um kind of drilling a little deeper into the the stories of these characters of the Toa and their adventures. Um, Another, I think, you know, I talked a little bit about how Lego is kind of towing the line a little bit in getting into, like, selling things that were not, strictly speaking, Lego bricks, like clothing. Um, I think they did a good, they made a good choice to kind of Um, kind of very deliberately get into other products specifically for brands and themes they knew would perform well. Um, Like, yeah. Uh, You know, arranging for these, you know, Bionicle, you know, chapter books to be made uh, or for the comics to be, to be made, or, you know, as we may get into, there were three, four, (laughs) everybody always forgets about the last one, there were four Bionicle, not quite feature length, but four Bionicle movies that were made, um, CGI animated, uh, movies that, that were produced, um, straight to, you know, video, home video, Um, and again, not feature length. They were, I think, all of them, like, around 70 minutes or something like that. So, you know, nothing major, but we have all these, all this, you know, Bionicle media on the side that is really awesome, honestly. Like, the comics were, they did not, like, pull a lot of punches. They were, you know, still appropriate. Well, being appropriate for kids, they still dealt with some kind of mature themes of, you know, loss and memory and uh, you know, one's power and responsibility. I guess, you know, it's sort of like superhero comics. They do a lot of that within the guise of power fantasy. Um, so you know, um, all great, uh, but yeah. What else? So, each year of story for the Bionicle uh, storyline, we'd see our characters, our heroes, be upgraded. There were two years of a flashback story arc, um, where the the Turaga, uh the Six Island Elders, reveal that uh, our, you know, the Toa are you know, principal characters and heroes were not the first Toa ever to exist. Um, as they had kind of, you know, not necessarily been led to believe, but kind of had started believing. And the Turaga are like, yeah, check this. And they, they tell a a story that lasts two years. They're like, yeah, we were heroes of not some, like, podunk island, but a major Natoran metropolis. Uh... And there were many, you know, we we knew the Toa before us, who empowered us to become Toa in turn. Um, yeah, just the the stakes keep getting raised, but not like in a Dragon Ball Z way, where it's like a bit. There's always a bigger fish kind of kind of thing. Um, I think they did a really terrific job of. Advancing the story, exploring new lands and areas within this universe. um, While also kind of building towards something. Like the Toa, uh, the original six Toa have their uh, enemy, uh, the Makuta, who is a... um, Which, if you've never seen this commercial, and I assume you have not. uh, Go look on YouTube, Makuti the Bionic Man. That's something only I will care about, probably, but, uh, (laughs) if you want to see the most, like, peak 2003-looking 10-year-old, uh, acting in a commercial, um, okay, well, yeah, so the, the Toa had their enemy, Makuta, who originally was kind of, like, the embodiment of entropy or sort of, like, what happens when you take your Lego sets apart was kind of a mature reading on, on that, uh, that stage of play. <laughs> um, um, but then he became sort of more of a, an embodied, you know, character. We got a set, uh, you know, for him. The way Bionicle released most often was there would be a wave of six at a time, like, twice a year, usually, like, around Christmas time and, like, you know, summer. There would be a wave of six canister sets, which all came in these, like, plastic canisters that, uh, at least to begin with, kind of reflected the canisters that the six Toa arrived on, washed up on the shores of Mata Nui on, uh, within, um... And those were kind of, like, the main characters or hook of, you know, the that season of story, so to speak. Um, and then you've got, like, six kind of smaller sets that either come in, like, a little box or a poly bag. Um, and those sets are, like, you know, the Turaga. Just kind of like a 30-piece set, something a little smaller, a little, you know, tinier in scope. Still have the play action, maybe. Like, the Turaga, you could push on a little lever on their back, and they would, like, raise their staff. They each had, like, a different shaped staff and, like, snap it down. Um, the Toa all had gear functions, which was super cool. Like, you'd turn a gear on their back, and their, like, torso cavity was actually, like, a gearbox that would, like, swing their arms, and they, you know, like, uh, Lua, Kopaka, Tahu all had, like, an axe or a sword or something that would, they would swing, um... Gali and anwa had like two armed like Gali had hooks and anwa had like claws that you know you could imagine him like burrowing underground with which was i'm swinging my arms as i talk about it um which was very cool and then pohatu was the weird one in that he was like built upside down and his gear function was not his arms but his legs he would like he'd turn the gear at the back like at his butt And he would, like, run or kick, which was super appropriate because he was included with... Or he, uh, included with that set was, like, a little Lego boulder, um, that he could, like, kick. He was kind of the patron of the, the sport of Coley in-universe, um, which was neat. And then kind of a neat little, little tie-in. And then, uh... He also had, wore the mask of speed, principally, um, so you can imagine him running just all very well-constructed well, well constructed sets. Uh, later on, the canister waves would start to become a little samey. Like, there are some that are, like, people refer to as clone sets, uh, like the Toa Metru, which was the, the sixth Turaga. Um, in their earlier days as Toa before they retired and became, uh, village, you know, island elders, um, from that, you know, two-year flashback story. The Turaga as Toa Metru all had kind of the same, the exact same construction. I think if there were any differences, it was the color because they all have, you know, each element became very heavily associated with a different color, You know, red for fire, blue for water, black for earth, brown for stone, uh, green for air, and white for ice. Um, Although they would kind of vary the shades a little bit. Like, on Mata Nui, all the colors were kind of, like, bright and saturated. Like, you think of a, you know, blue Lego brick. It's, like, you know, medium blue. That was the blue we were working with um and then you know you got um like by metru nui they they kind of advance into a ma- more mature palette this is also when they start like really heavily moving away from matanui as a theme or as a, you know setting um and exploring actually <laughs> so metru nui is this city that is suspiciously the same shape as the island of matanui what's that about well we find out that the city of metronui was actually an island inside the large the larger island of matanui and i remember being like as a kid going on the bionicle website where the main writer behind bionicle greg farshtey um who only recently left lego like i think or sometime during the pandemic i want to say um, many years after Lego was discontinued, he was still a writer for Lego and other themes that, you know, kind of came out of uh, the last decade. But Greg Farsi would answer fan questions, and people were like, hey, so why is there sun in Metro Nui if it's underground? And he was like, well, there are holes in Mata Nui that are permitting sunlight to... And, like, that doesn't really passed the smell test, I gotta say, Greg. Like, does that mean that the sun, like, only can be seen at one position in the day? Like, where, and on Matanui, where are these holes? Are they, like, in the mountains somewhere where nobody goes? Like, I don't know. Oh, another tie-in media that Bionicle had was these really excellent uh, Flash games. There was... The Matanui Online Game, or Manolg, if you will. Um, the Matanui Online Game had... Uh, it was like a point-and-click Flash adventure, and I think now that Flash is finally no longer supported, I don't know if there's really a way to play it anymore. Although people still have the files. They've, they've ripped those, so if any of if so if you're totally new to Bionicle this won't interest you but if you were a Bionicle kid as I was and you remember you had this is kind of a meme in the Bionicle fan community of today uh, that there's like people who are like hyper into the lore and like know all the characters and stuff and then there's people who very fondly remember that they had the red one um then I suggest if you're anywhere on that spectrum if you're any if you're anywhere on that spectrum uh, go go check out um, the biomedia project you can google for it it's like basically all the spin-off media that was ever produced for Bionicle I believe some of the movies that were originally distributed by Miramax uh, the first three were and there was one on the Mask of Light, which was came out in 2003. It's one of the early years of Bionicle's story, and it follows um, mainly our characters, the the Toa Manta. Um, and then there were two movies released back-to-back, I think, 2004 and 2005, Legends of Metru Nui and uh, Shadows of... Web of Shadows, that's it, um, that take place on Metru Nui with the, the Turaga as Toa, that, that whole arc. Two of those movies, and then there was another movie that was not released until 2009. It was no longer through Miramax, um, but it was very weird. It has Michael Dorn voicing Mata Nui himself. We'd come to find that, you know, I mentioned Makuta, the big bad, um, Come to find out that there's a, a whole brotherhood of Makuta, and the one bad guy that we know of was just one of those, one member of, of the brotherhood. Um, and his, quote, brother, Matanui, um, was kind of in an enchanted slumber, but w- was not just one guy, or as the, the was not a god either, really as the Matoran and Turaga call him, a great spirit. Um, if, if you want spoilers on any of this, I don't think I want to give them because Bionicle's story... No, I want to give them. <laughs> Bionicle's story is whack, and this will not diminish. Studies show that giving spoilers does not change your perception or appreciation of a story that you were interested in to begin with. Honestly, I think our culture is way over-focused on plot. Uh, we we hold plot above things like characters or exploration of themes. Um, or like the larger concerns of story. Plot is not the same as story. So anyway, I'm going to go ahead and spoil this. But we come to find out that, that Mata Nui is actually a... the spirit inhabiting the great great spirit robot uh, the GSR was sent out um, on a, a mission of interplanetary exploration uh, he would go like basically this robot was, was built by the great beings which were uh, a race of creatures unrelated to the Matorin, Toa, Taraga, any of them um, they were aliens of some kind The great beings sent out, uh, the great spirit robot, um, to go crash land on a planet. And this robot is like gigantic. It's like half the size of a planet, literally, um, and maintained and operated on by the Matoran, uh, before they had free will. They were just robots. Um, so the great spirit robot, uh absolutely breathtakingly huge would go crash land on a planet would like hang out there for 10,000 years or something gather like data on its surroundings and then return home and then go out to a new planet and so the I believe the planet that we start on is Aqua Magna um And it's where the great spirit robot crashed into the planet. The planet has on a geological level developed beyond, um, like has grown over the robot. Like he's submerged in water. It's a a planet primarily of water. Um, a landmass has formed on top of the robot's face. Metru Nui is actually the brain of the robot, and Mata Nui, the island, is, like, the island that forms over his face. The second-year Bionicle storyline main antagonist, the Bohrok, are these insect-like creatures that are obsessed with, like, like, clearing the land, like, cleaning it of everything on it and everyone. They're kind of like an insect insectoid-like you know, omnicidal menace. Um, and they turns out were actually like like sort of a system like pressure release valve for the, the for the Great Spirit robot and that they were um they were meant to like, be released and clear the land so that the robot could begin the functions of, you know, rising out from the depths and going home. Because um, we had reached that, that point, that 10,000-year point, where its research had been completed. Although there was kind of a... There was, you know, there were some problems along the way. And Makuta and the resuscitation of Mata Nui, the Great Spirit... Kind of went awry. There was a time when Madanui, like a virus, almost took control of the robot. Actually, did briefly. Uh, Madanui inhabited the prototype Great Spirit robot, and uh, you know, beat him in combat. Was able to take back over the robot. Just absolutely colossal galactic events occurring by the end of the Bionicle storyline. But we start really small, really tight on these six characters, and they're they're. Uh, you know, they're people that they protect from, you know, season one antagonists were basically uh, animals, the Rahi, um, and they were they're just, like, infected by the Makuta, so we knew that the Makuta was a bad guy, was a problem, but he was basically just, like, possessing, you know, the island's, like, tigers and, and giant wasps and stuff like that. Um, still kind of scary, but, you know, just totally a different scale of story. And I don't know, I think it's epic. I think they, they pull it off so well. There, there are times when they kind of do a soft reboot of the story, like, uh, 2001 to 2003 is the Toa Mata. Very, you know, you know, different challenges, but they, they kind of overcome them. They transform into Toa Nuva, uh, slightly more empowered, um, Toa, they struggle with unity, um, things like that, and then we have the two-year story arc that's a flashback, um, around the Toa metru, and, uh, then after that we kind of, kind of do a soft reset, moving on to a new generation of Toa after the Toa Nuva, um, but there's still, Toa Nuva are still in the story, there's still characters, um, and then at some point, we do a hard reboot to a whole new planet. Um, and this is a planet that, ultimately, the Great Spirit robot, like, returns to to fight on or something like that at the climactic moment. Um, it's weird. Uh, but, yeah, so... And the, the characters there are not Matoran or Toa. They're, like, kind of the same, but they're more... More emphasis on the bio over the biomechanical. Um, they do not have innate elemental powers and abilities as the inhabitants of the Matoran universe do. So just... But it's wacky. It's, it's such a great story. There was one time I had a really high fever. I was very sick one summer a couple of years ago. Not with COVID. Important reminder that you can still get sick with other things uh, even with COVID out there, but, um, I was very sick a few summers ago, and I listened to, like, this five-part series on, uh, the Bionicle storyline on YouTube by this channel, I believe, called Duck Bricks, just a charming, charming young lad, and, uh, it was, like, probably, like, six hours of Bionicle storyline that he explained in, like, blow-by-blow detail, um, and, you know, I was there for it, but I was also very delirious, and it was a great time. Would recommend getting very sick and listening to Duck Bricks's, uh, five-part Bionicle storyline recap. Um, anyway, I think that's kind of all I have, like, I haven't talked a lot about the sets themselves, I kind of got more into the lore and the story. Um, but just a great, like, multimedia adventure in what LEGO sets could be. Um, the way they developed the... Like, looking back at the original Wave of Toa, they're so quaint. You know, they have, like, a little gear function. They, you know, they don't have, like, bendable knees. They're not super poseable. Um, later on, like, they kind of, on the one hand, started moving towards more, like gimmicks where each toy line had to have a, like, a projectile of some kind. Like, there was, you know, the original Wave just had the gear function. And then probably somebody at Lego Corporate was like, that's a little 1978, don't you think? And they moved towards, like, throwing discs and, uh, like, shooting marbles and, like, these little squid guys that stretched and, you know, you'd slingshot them and, um you know, little, little spinners with a ripcord and whatnot. Every year there was a different gimmick. Uh, there were often little collectibles, like the whole point of the Toa each having to find five additional masks. And then they had to do it again, like the next year. Um, the whole point of that was so, you know, they could sell like collectible mask packs. Like this is, you know, uh, Kopaka's mask except it's in green instead of his normal white. You know, or this is like uh here is Pohatu's uh mask in red and that kind of thing. And the recolors weren't cool, but you know, they definitely kind of juice the uh collectible aspect of them and now you know, some of those masks are are big big money. I have a silver Uh, Akaku Nuva, which is the like protodermic one. In storyline, it means it's weak. Uh, But uh, silver was so rare that there, you know, are not a lot of them. And that one is probably, I don't know, like 40, 50 bucks or something. Just for an individual Lego piece. That was just a random part that I got back in the day in 2003. So... Anyway, yeah, getting into different forms of media, the collectibles market, all were great calls for Lego. They eventually canceled Bionicle in 2010. They brought it back for a couple years in the mid-teens. I completely missed it. I, you know, had really... There was a point where I was like, yeah, you know, Bionicle, I, li- I like it. It's not quite what it was. I think after 2006... Yeah, after 2006, I was kind of like... And I was getting a little little older, you know, into my teens there, so. But I was kind of like, yeah, this is not quite what I initially signed up for any longer. And um, there were still some cool sets. Like, it was was weird, because there were the sets that they were pushing, on the one hand, towards more childlike play and enjoyment, like, with the different projectiles and stuff. That just screams, like, this is made for five-year-olds. Um, and then on the other hand, uh, you saw more mature elements kind of worked in both to the storyline and like the sets you'd have more pieces or more of the Titan sets, which were, you know, you got the canister wave, the small box sets, and then the big box sets, which were maybe early on, just like a couple a year, um, with the exception of 2001, there were like a ton of them. But after that, for a number of years, it was just like a couple or a few um, large characters in the story that they could make larger sets based on. Um, but then later on, they started making like vehicles. It kind of, in a weird way, started rubber banding back to uh, the very earliest days of Lego Technic um, system, which, you know brought us back to vehicles um yeah the bionicle gen 2 uh over in like 2015 when was it like 2014 to 16 something in there um they kind of re it was a reboot it was not a continuation they had started using this new system that they developed for a line called uh hero factory um, Hero Factory used, a uh, character and creature building system, CCBS for short. And CCBS, I don't really enjoy. It doesn't have the same building elements to me. Like, a lot of it, a lot of CCBS is you've got, like, a skeleton, like a frame, and then you just snap on, like, corresponding pieces of armor. There's not a lot of variance except for color and some variance in style, Um, and that was a way that, you know, they could make more sets more easily, I think. Um, without having to, you know, rigorously design each one or create, you know, unique pieces and thereby unique molds for each set. Um, sadly, I think I've heard that a lot of the old molds for Bionicle pieces are no more. At some point, they stopped using the Technic label on Bionicle, and it just became Bionicle. It was its own thing. Um, there were some later controversies... controversies with the later production of pieces. For example, uh, people refer to Lime Joint Syndrome, which was, uh, all the lime pieces were made out of a plastic that was much crumblier than, uh, than normal. Um and it, it broke more easily, and when you've got a lot of ball and socket joints, like, those take a lot of stress, you know, just popping them together or separating them, so. Um, anyway, I, I think there's not a lot more I could say about Bionicle for this time. Um, I think that's pretty much, you know, the scope of it. I could get into more nitty-gritty, and I might at some point, but that's what bionicle is. That's what it grew out of. That's a little bit about the storyline and I highly recommend looking into it. I highly recommend if you ever see on like Facebook Mar- Facebook Marketplace or eBay like a lot of like unsorted bionicle pieces like for for not much money, <laughs> you know, like somebody's some some parent is cleaning out their their kids, you know, old bedroom or something. Like, pick that shit up. There's some good, fun, fun times to be had just, like, putting stuff together, making a little guy, you know? Um, like, there's a whole community of people who make really detailed uh, mocks, as they're called in in the Lego community, but you can make, like, just a, like, funny little guy and have it on your desk, and it's, it's great. Anyway, thanks, as always, for listening. I'm really glad you're here. <clears throat>